It's the second season of the Nothing New Under the Sun podcast. If you are a new listener or a veteran from season one, welcome along as Gareth and I discuss the beauty, practicality and timelessness of the Bible. We've got a new intro song for this season, a new outro song, and we will spend the next six episodes or so exploring what we are calling the neglected middle. Today's episode will highlight where I am in my Christian journey, provide a little background on this neglected middle we feel is important to talk about, and look at a couple of lines drawn right down the middle, signifying markers we might not always be cognizant of. Glad you can join us as we discuss Jesus, a bit of Robert Frost, a little bit of Homer Simpson, as well as some jokers and clowns. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Nothing New Under the Sun, Season 2, where as usual, I'm joined by Gareth Tyndall. Welcome back, Gareth. Thank you, Dane. Welcome back to you as well. It's been a while since we've put a podcast together. We put out our most recent episode, which we recorded a while ago. So it's been a while since we've sat down and chatted. How have things gone for you, Dane, since we've last spoken? Yeah, really good. I suppose, it, I think it's been about 12 months or so since we've, we've sat down to record, and is. A fair bit has happened in that time, I'd say. Um, first of all, you uh, you were kind enough to let me teach some Christian studies at school here, which was really, really good, and particularly for my my development, um, my spiritual development. I found it very, very um, interesting, some of the stuff we did with the Holy Spirit. Um, I found it yeah, very inspiring, so that was really good. Thank you for that. And... Um, I've also started coming to your church regularly as well, which has been really good for uh, my my wife and my younger children who are, who are joining us there as well. So, again, very much appreciated in terms of your accommodation. It's been great, yeah. No, it's been really good to, um, yeah, sort of have that sort of time away from the microphone and to sort of talk about Christian faith and see you grow in your understanding of Jesus. Um, and yeah, it's been helpful, hasn't it? You've kind of we've begun this thinking about the reasons to be a Christian and things have probably changed for you a little bit in that regard. Yeah, I think we probably spoke last time on, on that that podcast we were, we were talking about Jordan Peterson and now how he comes from that perspective of let's find the reason that Christianity works mm-hmm. in terms of um, you know that logic, I suppose, of what, why it has, is such a, a widespread and, and popular religion. And, and mm. I think I've... I certainly started from that perspective, um, but I've been probably swayed a little bit in terms of now I'm seeing the the egg, I suppose, rather than the, the chicken first. That you know, <laughs> this this um this side of that psycho that psychology that Peterson talks about is probably yeah. embedded. It's 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 the reason we are like we are, not the other way around. If that makes a bit of sense, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that faith in Christ rather than looking for a reason to be Christian. Yes. Um, that's been my big change over the last 12 months. That's been great. That's great. All right, I suppose um, we've got a bit of a new intro, as everyone would have just heard then, and a, and a new um, 
new song. We've gone away from um, turn, turn, turn. But we should just remind people that we don't have any jokers or clowns to our left or right here just yet, um, even though we've changed our song, Gareth, um, for the new season. That's right. We did change the song because we, we had that one, the turn, turn, turn by the birds, which we talked about how that took those ideas from Ecclesiastes 3 and those two extremes, a time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, to kill, to heal, even to, to weep and to laugh and gather stones and chuck them away. And we talked about how they're kind of extremes, the extremes of life, um, but they're practising drawing on my English background here, they're practicing an exact thing of called merismus, where they're a merism. So everything that happens in between those things is also uh, included there. And so I think last year we kind of really did focus on those extreme kind of ideas. And this year we've decided to sort of get into that middle and see what life is like in the middle. Hence, hence our new song, Stuck in the Middle with You. Yeah, and I think too for, you know, I'm going to be drawing on a few things that I've researched over the last couple of years in terms of this idea of the, the middle in our uh, our five or six episodes that we do on this this topic and I think as, as we've kind of said we're going to look at this idea of the neglected middle or, or mm. the rejected middle um, yep. kind of missing out and, and we do kind of focus on those you know those, those black and white moments rather than those greys in life um, and you know we're always looking forward to something or we're you know going back to something else and and it can be a little bit missing out on the, the here and now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose the middle does cop a pretty bad rap a lot. Yes. If you, you know, we go through some of our kind of cliched phrases, you know, the, we've got middlemen who skim profit off and, and rip people off. We've got you know, anyone's unlucky enough to be the middle child. You know, we, hmm. you might suffer from middle child syndrome. We're giving someone the middle finger. You're not exactly uh, giving them a, a nice gesture. Um, we're both probably moving into that middle age and an extra weight around the midsection. <laughs> yep. I, I certainly yeah. am, Gareth. <laughs> um, the middle ages, okay, we've kind of referred to those as the dark ages, yeah. those medieval times. Yes. Um, we've got Piggy in the middle when we're bullying kids as, uh, with the ball and mm. we're in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then there's those euphemisms of middledom in terms of being in between a rock and a hard place or sitting on the fence yeah. getting your splinters. So... It's kind of got a negative rap, but we want to bring some of the, the good middle and, and things that people might not realise or recognise and, and really consider in their day-to-day lives mm-hmm. um, and see that this rejected middle can be really, really important for for us and particularly as as Christians um, in those zones between uh, high and low, but they're necessary and nourishing. Um, yeah, yeah. And I'll return to one of my favourite philosophers in, in Homer Simpson, Oh, I think he's describing at one stage that he's got dizzying highs and terrifying lows, but he also wants the creamy middle. So maybe we're going to have a bit of a creamy middle in this season. Um, so from a scriptural point of view, what do you think? You know, for me, you know, I'm in this little journey at the moment, maybe in the middle. Um, Jesus is central to Christianity. Yes. And it's his role, isn't he, between God and us? Yeah, yeah. He's often described as... Um, especially in the book of Hebrews, he's called our great high priest. Um, and in the Old Testament, you know, the, the priest was had a mediatorial role. He kind of mediated between uh, the people and between God. He was the middleman, I guess, if you like. Um, and um, Jesus is described as being um, 
that eternal high priest and one much greater than the high priest because the priests that existed in Old Testament Judaism um, died and themselves weren't perfect. Um, and Jesus, of course, is uh, both fully man and fully God. So he, he inhabits our humanity fully um, and he inhabits um, that divine essence fully as well. Uh, and so he is able to kind of straddle both of those worlds or realms, I guess, um, of being. And that means that he's able to sympathize with us and understand what our lives are like now. Uh, and he's also to able to plead our case uh, before God on our behalf, which is that great mediatorial way. Um, and yeah, and of course he called himself the way too, didn't he? You know, that, that, that idea of, he said, I am the way uh, and the truth uh, and the life. Um, and he says that in response to uh, to Thomas when he's talking about how he's going to go away. to his disciples in the farewell discourse. He's going to go away soon uh, to to the Father, talking about going to his Father's house and preparing rooms for them. And he says, you know the way to where I'm going. And he goes, you know, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Like they said, we don't even understand what the place you're talking about. Um, how can we understand the way? And then Jesus says, I am the way, um, the truth uh, and the life. So, yeah, he's already that kind of middle middleman for us. Mm. And I guess, too, um, from that perspective that, you know, maybe a, a complaint or a question that people who, who aren't Christians might have about God is, well, why doesn't God just come and fix everything up? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and obviously that neglects the whole free will kind of thing. But... Jesus did come as God, yes, which is a kind of a, it's a middle way to help humans find that way because God's going to show up at some stage and it's not going to be the middle of the journey. That's going to be the yeah. end. He, he will arrive yes, and there'll be no time left for, for us at that stage. That's but, right. That's right. That, that middle period will have passed and the end will be there. And, you know, the, the fascinating thing, of course, about, about Jesus and what we call the incarnation, him becoming flesh like us is that it was something all of God's timing and all of God's initiative and it's God's kindness to us that he appeared as a man um, because it shows us that uh, you know there's, there's a relatability there that God actually the incarnation actually says that God wants to welcome humanity into the divine presence um, and of course what you mentioned earlier about the fact that there is going to be an end. You know, Christians now, we, we, we often use the phrase uh, the last days or the now but not yet. And that really is a kind of middle idea. You know, we understand we understand the beginnings of cre in creation. We understand the end, the return of Jesus. Um, but the, the story is kind of already over in a way because Jesus has already come and dealt with the problems you spoke about, namely our rebellion and our sin um, and the consequences of those things being death. He's come and dealt with both of those things in the cross uh, and when he rose to new life, uh, that was his vindication that he'd actually paved, now had paved that way, that way for us uh, into, into the kingdom of God. And so Christians are spoken of now as being citizens of heaven. I've been talking about this with my year nines in in our unit on church we talk about how churches are kind of like heavenly embassies because they're here on earth 
but they are technically heavenly territory when and when you go into one because you're meeting with God in, in God's presence. So the the end has kind of already been set up and now we're just in the middle, that intervening period waiting for it to be consummated in Jesus' return. Yeah. And Jesus's uh, Jesus arriving for the first time hmm. was God setting up that middle ground, I suppose, in terms of, okay, I can't make you do this stuff because yeah. you have free will and having redemption when it's forced upon you is not really redemption I suppose mm -hmm. but he laid down the path and said okay I'm here but you still need to come you still need to take those steps I'm, I'm putting a few steps forward towards you now you need to come and take your steps can you do that through Jesus yeah I think the, you know if we understand the human condition <coughs> uh, from a biblical perspective the a potential for humans to of their own will decide I am going to turn back to God in full repentance and my I want my heart and all of my affections to be shaped by God's law that's not going to happen because you know we've already seen in the in the garden of eden that when sin entered the world it was a desire um in adam and eve to replace god uh and for them to be the ones who called the shots and were the center of the universe and so you you're right in the sense that god god had to make the first move and he did you know he, he moved heaven and earth you know in order to 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 be with us uh and jesus christ coming down into the world um in the incarnation was also the way that god was going to say that um here is how i am going to draw people to myself i will come and dwell with you yeah yeah all right well we might leave the first half there and um well, that will lead us to our next discussion on the Garden of Eden, which we'll, we'll mm. come back to in a second, Gareth. So we'll clear our voices and uh, we'll be back in a second. Okay, listeners, welcome back. Um, we mentioned the beginning in the Garden of Eden just before the break there, there Gareth. Now, I want to go back to, to Genesis mm -hmm. um, as the base for talking about uh, what we could call the divisive middle in Christianity. Um, and I, I think the, the Garden kind of sets this up really, really perfectly. Um from a metaphorical point of view, because we have this walled garden, which is not quite fully nature, but it's not quite fully nurture. It's mm -hmm. it's an in-between. Um, there's an, a wildness about it, but it's also that protective element for, for Adam and Eve to uh, to first live in when, when God put them there. Um, and then I know, is there any significance too for the, the Garden of Eden having the, uh, the tree of good and, knowledge of good and evil in the middle? Because that's kind of the space it's mentioned, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It says that the tree of life is in the middle of the garden as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And presumably there were myriad other trees um, in that garden as well, especially in the way that it's described of the creation. Um, and, yeah, the garden the garden does have, like, there's a significant kind of, I guess, geography to it, doesn't it? Like, it does talk about those four rivers that come in and talks about where they flow out to you know a couple of those can be really clearly identified like the euphrates and other ones are kind of kind of uncertain and it's also it's also not particularly clear whether for example those four rivers come in from the four compass points or whether they all flow out in one direction or whether they all flow in into one river it doesn't doesn't really say except what it seems to make the point is is that that eden is the central place that eden is is that is that central garden that region that that adam is in and and um while when we look at the account of creation in genesis 1 and how it is all about 
God creating things and there's a good order. Everything is according to its kind and it's ordered and it's good. Adam is still told in Genesis 2 that he's expected to to work the garden and to, to, to order it, to continue to maintain and to nurture uh, that good ordering. So part of that good ordering was Adam doing the ordering uh, of the garden. And it is within the bounds there of um, him knowing his place in the order too, uh, that God rules over all of it and that he gives Adam dominion over it under him. And of course, that, that, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is in there and that's where it all goes down, doesn't it? Like the, the temptation of, of Eve and of Adam is, uh, happens right there in that Garden of Eden, right there in the garden that God himself would walk in in the cool of the day and enjoy the presence of his creation and his, his children, Adam and Eve, and they stuff it up. So, um, yeah, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is important because, you know, well, what do you think, what, what do you, when you think hear that phrase, knowledge of good and evil, what do you usually associate it with, the tree? Well, for me, it's just, it's drawing a line. You okay. know, it's, it's, it's that, if you've got good and you've got evil, well, you they, they have to be separated okay. by something. Yeah. You yeah. know, so I see that as that, as that clear demarcation mm. of, of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose this, if we look at the idea of, of boundary, they are supposed to split things into. Yes. And, and in that terms, of the middle's important, then you can't kind of go, oh, well, I'm kind of good or I'm kind of yes. evil and have this spectrum. I kind of see it as... A divide. Okay, that's a divide. Yeah. And, um, and I said in that this idea of, of Christianity as divisive, that, that line down the middle, um, mm-hmm. it's probably all it's central, to, to use yeah. a, a bad pun. Yeah, that's right. And I think that the, the, the understanding of that knowledge phrase is important too because we often, I think we misread sometimes and think, oh, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the garden, they now, they now knew what was good and they now knew what was evil. Um, but it's less the idea of coming to a, a realisation of those things um, but it, and more an idea of when you, of having, uh, you are the one who discerns what is good and what is evil. That Adam and Eve in their rebellion became, made themselves the locus of discerning what, what is the good and what is the evil. And um, the terrible, terrible irony, of course, is that the good is to sit under the word of God. Um, and, of course, they, they, believe the, they believe the serpent's lies about God's word, that it couldn't be trusted, that he's my... You know, there's a great a great phrase that Sinclair Ferguson's come up with is um, not to be trusted because he does not love me, dodgy father. You know, that's a great... That's, that's, that's what Adam and Eve thought. He's my not to be trusted because he does not love me, dodgy dad. And that's mm. what the that Satan convinced them of. Um, and then, of course, so that means that they have now, instead of actually being able to make that clear decision about what's good and what's evil, is they've actually brought inside themselves a turmoil of rebellion, a corruption where, you know, Paul describes sin as being knowing the good I should do, um, but not being able to do it because they actually bring an inner turmoil into our, in, into ourselves through sin. Sin, I think, actually, it muddies the waters and it corrupts that that compass of being able to determine the good and the evil and creates a terrible murky middle inside of us. Mm. It always goes bad. It makes Christ... 
um, the, the first coming across inevitable too, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It, it? It creates that boundary. And yes. I think you know, if I go back to my year 11 English, <laughs> uh, where we were studying Robert Frost and, and this idea of the, the mending wall, and um, you know, you're an English teacher, I'm sure you've heard of it, but mm. you know, the, the two neighbours walking down in the spring um, and fixing this wall of, of rock and stone and um, the, the author questioning whether there's a necessity to have this wall because he's got an orchard on his side and the, the neighbour has pine trees and they're never really going to be able to, yes. to mix. It's not like they're no. keeping out cattle or sheep or anything. Yes. Um, and the other neighbour just, you know, repeats a few times that good fences make good neighbours. Mm. Um, so, and as I said before, I think that demarcation is important because it's a, it's a you're with Christ or you're not. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't, there's no spectrum. There's this, we've drawn this line down the middle by choosing to eat of the fruit, choosing to sin, hmm. um, and that creates sides. It does. Yeah, it does create sides. I mean, and that's what happens in in the Garden of Eden when the, the, there are consequences of that fall. Um, one, of the, the, one of the first consequences of that fall is that um, when God is described as walking in the garden, Adam and Eve are fearful of being in his presence and they hide. Uh, and then, of course, God, you know, proves them right and says, yeah, you, you cannot be in my presence. And they're banished from the garden um, because um, God is a holy God. And we've talked a little bit about holiness before, but it's it's a demarcation. It's a, you know, it's a set apartness. That's what it means to be holy. It doesn't mean to be sort of, you know, there's a, not, not, not a Venn diagram. There's just, just two circles. There's a holy one and there's an unholy one. And, um, uh, and they don't overlap. And that's, that's what's gone on here, that Adam and Eve are now not set apart for God because they've decided that they're going to set themselves up as God and so they're driven from his presence. Um, and that's, that's pretty much the picture through all the Old Testament narrative is that coming into God's presence is a fearful thing um, in the Old Testament because it means coming to face the reality that we're sinful. Uh, and that we're coming before a holy God who can't tolerate sin because of his holiness. Um, and so the wonderful mercy of, of the gospel is that God is the one who crosses the divide, that he comes um, into our flesh and into that, that fallen world uh, in the form of Jesus Christ as the man. Yeah. And then they're right, there's, that, there's no demarcation there. I mean, it says there's no murkiness there. Like if Paul's description of what it means to be a Christian is that you are in Christ. You can't be sort of, oh, you know, I'm, not, I'm on the fence with Christ. Mm. I'm either in Christ, united to him, or I'm not. You can't be half pregnant. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I guess it, it also changes that idea some people have about, you know, having to do good works to gain favour. Yeah. Because there's no good works that you can actually do except to be in faith with Christ. That's yeah. that's what you have to do. Yeah, that's right. And that's, you know, that's what, you know, Jesus says that, doesn't he, in Matthew 5, when he talks about righteousness and your works, and he says to the, to the disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, um, then you have no place in the kingdom. And the Pharisees, in those days, that was their pinnacle of understanding of people who did the right thing. Of course, Jesus spends most of the Gospels exposing the error of their ways. Um, and so that, that statement is actually not really hopeful. So, because, well, no one can have be as righteous as that, they would have thought. So what you need is someone who, who does that righteousness 
on your behalf, uh, and that's Jesus, yeah. And yeah, you're right. And so that's why, you know, we've talked a little bit about how there is, that churches probably used to have that mushy middle of people who thought, if I just live a good life, do good, you know, come on a Sunday, give my 10%, um, and then, you know, Jesus is something that I just kind of say, yeah, I accept that, and then he just kind of passes into the background of the the milieu of who I am, and he's not the defining thing, um, because it was socially acceptable yeah. to be a Christian then, yeah. And I guess you yeah, end up with that that um, case then where people will line up and say, well, I, I'm slightly better than that person, yeah. Um, yeah. so I'm more Christian than them, or I'm a better person than them because, you know, I did five good things and you've done four. Yes, that's right. But this person's done eight, so, you know, maybe I'm not as good as, as them. That's right. Where it's, that's a false narrative. It is. It is a false narrative, yeah, because, you know, no one is righteous, not even one, you know, and and that our works, what we consider our good works, compared to what Christ on the cross are, are filthy rags. Um, and so, um, hang on, just being interrupted here. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, and so with that that false narrative idea that that our works actually before Jesus, what Jesus' work on the cross was, our works are filthy rags. And that is, that's one of the ways they're described in the Bible. Um, that's actually a pretty polite way of doing that translation. It's much, much more gruesome than that. Um, and so that means that, you know, we, we've seen, I think, that those kinds of ideas of, well, let's just do good works and be tolerant and respectful that's kind of the agenda that has taken over some of the church and that's not really held up over the last, you know, 50, 60 years. Um, and so that used to be that kind of comfortable, mushy middle that you could have in the church. Um, and it's that, it is the mushy middle, I think, that has left our churches, that has declined. Um, and we were looking at that webcomic about that idea, weren't we, from Adam 4D, about the, what's called the supposed death of Christianity and how there's this there's two guys on one side saying, I'm a Christian, and the other one saying, I'm, I identify with this because it's socially acceptable and it helps me to progress and make an advance. Um, and then time passes and now that, that guy's on the other side saying, well, I don't identify with that because it's not socially advantageous for me to do so um, anymore. It's, you know, it's seen to be a repugnant thing to be um, a Christian. And yet... It's always been a repugnant thing. The cross is a great offence. It's an offensive, divisive thing. Yeah. Well, it, it was a violent, violent death. It was. Yeah, it was a shameful thing yeah. to, to have seen. Yeah. And it was, it was shameful in the cultural setting to die, be executed on a cross. Um, and it's shameful to if Jesus is who he says he is. Because here is the Son of God who has had the wrath of his father turned upon him um, and been abandoned by him on the cross because of us. Like, that's pretty a shameful thing to, for us to have to take on board. Yeah. And that, again, leads us back to this idea that Jesus wasn't after the mushy middle. He, he was quite divisive yeah. in his day. He's, it was kind of this is my way, mm. and that is the only way to get into heaven. Mm. Good works will not get you there. You have to believe in what, what I've done, in mm. this, as you said, that repugnant and offensive cross, which you know, it's still a symbol for Christianity 2,000 mm. years later, mm. Mm. and it's, it's horrifying yeah, what that's happened. Right. That's right, that's right. And there's, 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 
Jesus has the alternative that you know, he uses the imagery of gates in Matthew seven, and the the, the 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 mushy middle, if you like, is a wide open gate, wide open highway that is pretty easy to coast down, um, but doesn't result in entering the kingdom. Entering the kingdom is through the narrow path, you know, and walking along a narrow path, um, there's no middle ground there. You you stay on it or you don't, um, and that is kind of what is being expressed there. That yeah, and you know, and, and even even phrases like Reese says, you know, um, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have come for the sick. And like other translations go with, you know, it's not the well. And well is even that is kind of um, open and you know broad. It's kind of a nebulous kind of term. It's kind of this in this mushiness kind of idea. Um, but sick, you sick, you sick. Like it's a it's something that needs to be. You need a remedy. With. You need a remedy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. And again, that, that probably comes down to that whole uh, point that we started the podcast of, of looking at ways that we can fix today's problems, mm. and we've got that remedy there if we only look to it and, and follow. That's right. It's a, it's it's the gospel is that kind of linchpin that um you know if you know with, without it everything else does unravel, um and all those other problems become all the more exposed and exacerbated and and yet with with the gospel. Um, you are given a lens for how to look at and understand all those different myriad problems that we face in life as we live in these last days of walking life in the middle. What role then does you know the, the churches in general have in allowing this mushy middle to to stay and or and then leave the church? I suppose if you look from that postmodern this idea that once they started to embrace some of those ideas that we just want to go with society just mm-hmm. to keep people along mm-hmm. that hasn't worked out well no no that's right it, it hasn't worked out well um and you know we, we're seeing kind of examples of that play out through um all kinds of different denominations um and you're seeing uh yeah one that has chased a church that has kind of chased that seat at the table um is constantly making concessions and constantly watering down and um, muddying the truth of the gospel in order to seem palatable for those at the, the table of power or the, the moral relativists, if you like. They never really seem to get there, though. They never really seem to get that chair and get that, that sway or seat of influence that um, the church may have once had centuries ago in Christendom, and that's you know a debate for how wonderful that was as well. Um, and yet it's the, it's, it's the churches that uh, continue to preach Christ crucified and that, and are really willing to say the hard and honest truths about sinfulness um, that continue to be blessed continue by, by God and continue to, to grow and to continue to see people actually um, want to give their lives to something, to that, those kinds of fellowships. Uh, because it's clear that there's um, a cost involved that's been paid by Jesus Christ, but it's also true that there's a cost of conviction. You can see a conviction in those kinds of congregations. Um, and so I think that that's the kind of things you've got to be looking out for, I think, is you know what what is this church saying in regards to how it has dealt with that, that moral relativism that has gone on for so long? Yeah, there's probably a, a false inclusiveness about it too and you know this this superficial we're going to be very very inclusive Mm -hmm. 
by forgetting parts of the gospel that might make people feel unincluded. Yeah. But the whole message is one of inclusion, is that, again, that faith in Christ, it doesn't matter where, who you are, yes. where you've come from, background, there's that underlying um, or humanness that, that, that's the yeah. ultimate inclusiveness, yeah. but a humanness in, in Christ. Yeah. And the, the churches that continue to preach that are probably the ones that are growing and have maintained popularity, whereas the other ones have just not drawn that line in the sand and keep getting territory encroached upon. Yeah, that's probably right. And I think they, you know, you could, there's a difference between having um, a gospel understanding and doing gospel things. Like, you can do good things that you can tie back to values that emerge from the gospel. But if you're not giving your congregation the gospel regularly, then they don't know where those moorings are in those good deeds that they're doing. Uh, and and they don't flow directly from their faith in the gospel. Um, that need, That is something that just doesn't seem to uh, unfold unless the gospel is preached regularly. Yeah. And I think going back to that, that Adam 4D, one of the comics I saw there was a, a kind of... A, a love heart which said God is love, but love isn't God, which um, I, okay. I like mm. that. So, you know, all the love in the world, unless it's rooted in God's love, doesn't really count for anything. Um, I think there was a... I've been reading a bit of C.S. Lewis over the last month or so. There's in there's a, a scene in The Great Divorce where these people in between the uh, heaven and hell, it's mm. never quite clear... But this mother who is basically saying to her her brother, where is my son? You know, I dedicated so much of my time to him, I just want to see him. And the brother was explaining, look, you'll get the same, but you need to first come to God. And mm-hmm. she was going, well, no, my love for my son should be enough to get me into heaven. Right. And the brother goes, no, 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 you've made loving your son an idol. You need to love God. And if you love your son through God, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But... There is so much that you've done in loving your son, isolating other people, that you, you made your goal, I'm going to love my son regardless. Yeah. And she just wants to remate him. And um, she ends up choosing to go back to hell mm. because she says, well, if this God won't allow me to love my son straight away as soon as I get here, well, he's not someone I'm, he's, I want to see. Yeah, well, he, he's not good is the determination. He's not good, yeah. He's, right. he's not my level of good. Which, That's yeah, right. Because she's pretty, made, made a, a good thing a God thing. In that mm. example. Yeah. So. Mm. All right. Well, we might leave it there, Gareth, um, for our first episode for this season. Um, we'll be back in about a fortnight with a new neglected, rejected middle. Middle. We'll still so, be stuck in the middle. Stuck yes. in the middle. Yes, with you. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Gareth. And we'll see you in a fortnight. Thank you. See you later.